So that's Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people... His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, Teresa. The sun is shining. The Gulf Stream is moving. Um, Why don't we pray to our sovereign God as we learn from his word together. Sovereign God, please, would you do your work in our lives this morning as we learn from your word. Please move our hearts and open our lips to speak about your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, I've got a a question for you as we start. Um, You don't have to shout out, but have a think. Over the last three weeks or so, how many conversations have you had about the weather? Three months of record rainfall, uh, the Gulf Stream delivering our summer weather to the wrong address, somewhere in southern Spain. Um, We've had calm at unusually high levels, floods across the country, um, and yet still a hosepipe ban in places. And uh, we kind of love it, don't we? I mean... We hate it, but we love to talk about it. I was um, out in the street in the week, bumped into someone from Christchurch. It's pouring with rain, so what do we chat about? The weather. 
It's an easy conversation. Everyone's got an opinion on the weather. Um, everyone's happy to chat about the weather. Let me ask you another question. Same period of time, past three weeks or so. How many conversations have you had about Jesus Christ? It almost sounds cheesy to ask, doesn't it? But why? If you've been with us over the last year, as we've worked our way through Matthew's account of Jesus' life, it is mind-blowing. It's incredible. And whatever we make of this man, Jesus Christ, maybe you are convinced that he is God's Son, the Saviour, but maybe you're not yet convinced. But wherever you stand on that, surely, given all that we've read, it is worth a conversation or two about this man. And yet, I find it so much easier to talk about the weather. And it got me wondering, why the weather? Or sports results, or gadgets. I'm happy to chat about those too, in case you bump into me over coffee. Um, why those things, not Jesus Christ? And I was left wondering, um, I wonder if the big attraction of the weather is uh, the inconsequentiality of it. You see, it doesn't really matter. It, it doesn't, talking about the weather isn't getting under the skin of who I am. It's not about me. Uh, imagine you're at my funeral and someone's standing up to speak about me. They're not going to talk about the weather. They're not even going to talk about sports results. They might mention a few gadgets. Um, it's not really who I am. It's quite inconsequential. Now, I realize if you've been flooded three times in the past six months, you might say, actually, it's, it's not that inconsequential, John. Um, but I'm also guessing if you have been flooded three times in the past six months, you're probably not the person who's all that keen to talk about the weather. You're, you're sick of it. You're fed up of it. Whereas I'm very happy to chat about the weather. And I haven't been flooded three times in the past six months. Not once. It's inconsequential. It's sort of at arm's length from me. It seems as though I love living in this world of the inconsequential, or at least I love having conversations which are inconsequential. So here's our problem. This gospel of Jesus Christ, Matthew has spent 28 chapters, 23,000 words, telling us about the details of this man's life. But it's not inconsequential, is it? It is a gospel with deep and profound and life-changing consequences. It does speak about who I am. It speaks about eternity. It speaks about judgment. And so it doesn't fit into this neat little category of comfortable dinner time conversations. So what do we do? We keep silent. We, we don't talk about it. It, it is the most awesome story ever told. Real life events. But because it matters because it has consequences we talk about the weather well um, in our passage this morning Matthew 28 we are right at the end of the gospel maybe that's good news for you um, we've worked our way through it for a whole year um, this is the last sermon on Matthew's gospel it's last words for Jesus it is last words for Matthew as he recounts Jesus's life and Matthew is finishing with the the so what why, why does all this matter? This good news, he's just spent 23,000 words telling us. What are the consequences? What are the implications? And we're going to see it is a gospel which matters. We're going to see these consequences that Matthew's talking about. They're consequences which 
which start with me. They start in here, but they can't stop there. They are far wider-reaching consequences. So first off, and there's an outline on the back of the order of service, if that's a help to you, follow where we're going. First off, we're going to think consequences for me. And um, stick a finger in Matthew 28 and and flick back to Matthew chapter 4, where we were goodness knows how long ago, quite a few months ago. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, page 976. This is right back at the start of Jesus' ministry. He's He's been baptized, he's been tempted in the wilderness. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we read, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very first words of Jesus' ministry. Repent. This is, it's a, a personal call. Turn around, change your lives, follow me. Gospel of Jesus Christ has implications, has consequences for me. And as, um, as we follow through Matthew's gospel, as uh, we hear Jesus' teaching, we hear what he's saying to each one of us. You're sinful people. John, you're a sinful person living sinful lives. I didn't need to read much of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, ch- chapters 5 to 7. I didn't need to hear much of that to realize I fall far short of those standards. Judge others as you would be judged. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's, it's clear to me, my life is a sinful life. But as you keep going, you see, no, that's the beauty of it. My sinful life is exactly the reason why this man, Jesus Christ, this man God, is walking on the face of the earth and he's saying, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness through my blood. Repent. Turn and follow me. Deep and life-changing consequences. Now jump back to Matthew 28, um, which we've just had read. Page 1007, if you've lost it. Um, and we're going to look at these last 10 verses of the gospel, but Start at verse 18. Have a look at Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus has died a criminal's death. He's risen from the grave. Um, He's now standing on the mountainside in Galilee. And he says, um, and Jesus came came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see the consequences. William the Conqueror, 1066, uh, Battle of Hastings, the uh, arrow in Harold II's eye. Consequences. William became ruler of England. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, conqueror of sin and death. Consequences. He's, he's ru- risen as ruler, ruler of heaven and earth. And it's funny because we say ruler of heaven and earth and, and actually that feels safe, doesn't it? That, that's sort of detached. But it's not detached. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, conqueror of sin and death. He's ruler of Lewis Meek. He's ruler of Ian White. He's ruler of Rebecca Foy. He is ruler of John Tuckwell. It's not detached. 
It is deep and profound and life-changing in its implications. Repent, John, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see the, the consequences of these 28 chapters? They, they start here. It starts with me. It's got, to, it's got to work in my heart, captivate me, before it can go anywhere else. And I think it's helpful to see uh, Matthew in, in this passage that Tarita read for us. Um, he's giving us two different pictures of response to these consequences. So um, verses 11 to 15 in Matthew 28, have a look down. Um, we've got the elders and the chief priests. And we've got their response. So they've just heard that despite their best efforts, they, they put a guard on the tomb. They've, they've tried to keep Jesus' body in that tomb. Despite their best efforts... The tomb's empty. He's risen, just as he said he would. And they hear the guards' report, report, and what do they do? They bury the truth. They're going to duck the consequences. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, the terrifying thing here is, I bet they thought they were doing the right thing. I bet they were telling themselves, "This this is for the good of the people. We don't want confusion and misunderstanding here. They buried the truth and convinced themselves they were doing the right thing. We, we find it very easy to deceive ourselves, to tell ourselves we're doing the right thing. I don't think our ability to deny the truth should ever surprise us. It is written on the pages of Scripture. Um, take Richard Dawkins, for example, um, spending his own money to put posters on London buses saying, There probably is no God. Now stop worrying. And enjoy your life. I genuinely believe he thinks he's doing the right thing. But what is he doing? He's burying the truth. He's encouraging people to duck the consequences of the risen Lord Jesus. That's one response Matthew gives us. Um, But notice the disciples' response. I love this. Um, From verse 16, um, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. So they'd been told, go to Galilee. And they obeyed. They went to Galilee. And they saw the risen Lord Jesus. And they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. And you read that and you think, that's very odd. Here's Matthew trying to convince us that Jesus Christ has risen as, as Lord of all. And he's telling us that some of these disciples doubted and you're left thinking what but actually it's right isn't it isn't there sort of a ring of truth in this account you would hesitate at that moment you saw him dead and here he is risen you would hesitate that's what the word means this isn't a word of um, unbelief or disbelief. Matthew had that word available to him. He hasn't used that word. He's used a word which means hesitation. They hesitated. And um, it is true for the disciple of Christ. There is hesitation in the journey. But do you see the, the big difference between the chief priests and the elders and the disciples in their hesitation? The disciple of Christ, as he or she hesitates, they approach Christ in their hesitation. They're seeking to establish the truth. 
They're not seeking to bury the truth. The chief priests and the elders, they, they didn't go and try and find out what had happened to the bodies. No, they buried the truth. They ducked the consequences of the risen Lord Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has consequences for me and how I respond. But also, it's got consequences for people I know. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. And um, the claim here is a universal claim, isn't it? Uh, In fact, broader than that, the claim goes beyond the universe. It's a kind of celestial claim. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's not a pick-or-choose moment. I can't stand here and say, well, this is true for me that Jesus Christ has risen as Lord and ruler of my life. But it's not true for uh, my unbelieving sister. Or it's not true for my office mate who wants to have nothing to do with church or Jesus Christ. If it's true for me, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, it's true for them. Just because they're not a fan of his authority doesn't change the truth of the situation. Now, um, imagine you're at a wedding in Edinburgh. There's sort of kilts and bagpipes everywhere. You can picture the scene. And um, you're staying on to the reception, and it's a sit-down banquet. And uh, you know how it works. You sort of find the the seating plan, and you work out where you're sitting. And uh, to your horror, you find you're not sitting next to anyone you know. Um, You've been put next to the, the bride's rather eccentric second cousin, Um, William McWallace and uh, you get chatting over the banquet and you discover he is an ardent Scottish nationalist he hates London Um, uh, his room is decorated with Braveheart posters on his dartboard he's got David Cameron and Queen Elizabeth II Uh, he wants freedom now once you've established this fact that he's an ardent Scottish nationalist there are a number of conversations you're going to tend to avoid you're not likely to sort of um, have a cheery conversation with him about the Queen's Diamond Jubilee celebrations. That, that probably wasn't a party in William's house. Um, I guess he's got an opinion or two on North Sea fishing policies or North Sea oil policies. Those may be conversations you want to steer clear of. So what do you talk about? You talk about the Gulf Stream, don't you? The, the, the Scots, they're desperate for their rain back, and the English are only too happy to let them have it. So it's a kind of win-win conversation. Whatever you do, you avoid the conversation that has consequences. Sitting down with um, William Wallace, pointing out to him that uh, David Cameron really is in charge of Scotland, whatever he thinks. Apologies if you're a Scottish nationalist. It's a truth with consequences. It, it, it affects him and his life and who he is. So we talk about the inconsequential rather than the consequential. Jesus Christ says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The effect of the gospel starts here, but it's got to go out from there. It's got to go out from us. It's a universal truth. Jesus will one day return. Return in judgment. And on that day, um, these gospel consequences, they're going to be laid bare. Every eye will see. There'll be no bearing the truth on that day. So, when we duck those consequences, I mean, William Wallace, I'm not sure it really matters that you point out to him that David Cameron is still in charge of Scotland, but the reality that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead as Lord of all, one day he's going to return to judge. To have that conversation 
You're not just trying to wind someone up by confronting them with a truth that they don't want to hear, are you? That, that is a loving conversation to have. Jesus, when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, this isn't um, megalomania, wanting sort of everyone to follow him for his own sake. It's a loving warning. I'm returning in judgment. So go and tell people, repent, tell them to follow me, to be my disciples. It's a gospel with consequences. Consequences for me, consequences with, for people I know. Um, and finally, it's a gospel with consequences for people I don't know. We saw Matthew chapter 4, Jesus started his ministry with one command, repent. And he finishes here with two commands, go and make. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Well, I don't think the logic's too hard to, to miss, really. Um, because all authority has been given to him, because he will one day return to judge. So those who have seen these gospel consequences need to tell those who haven't seen these gospel consequences, people who haven't heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Put yourself in the uh, shoes of the disciples for a minute. Um, 2,000 years ago, there's 11 of them standing on the hillside in Galilee. There may have been a few other people sort of scattered around. We, we don't quite know. We're focusing in on the 11. And Jesus says to them, go and make disciples of all nations. And you'd be thinking, us? I mean, all nations? We're pathetic, Jesus. Didn't you see us in the Garden of Gethsemane? We ran and hid. All nations go and make disciples. And yet here we are, 2,000 years on. We're on a small island off the west coast of Europe. And the gospel message is still going, isn't it? It's reached us. It's worked in here. I've heard this message of forgiveness and grace. Jesus Christ passed the message on to those 11 men, told them to go and make disciples. They told the disciples to go and make disciples, their disciples to make disciples. And so the message spreads and spreads and spreads and works its word, work in the lives of God's creation. It starts with me, but it's got to go out from me. And verse 19, the go, go therefore, the go is a telling go because it is, it's an active, intentional discipleship. It's finding those who don't yet know this amazing news and telling them. I was looking on the internet this week. Um, apparently there are 2,200 people groups in the world and they still don't have a Bible in their language. They can't read this message of grace and forgiveness for themselves. In the UK, 60% of people will say they believe in God. And yet very, very few understand the truth of a God who hates sin, but who loves to show grace and mercy to sinners. And what does Jesus say to us? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. If you were here a few Sundays ago, um, Margaret Regeera, who we were praying for earlier, was up here on stage. Um, and we were praying for her as she was heading out for a lifetime of ministry in Japan. She's hoping it's going to be a lifetime of disciple-making for Christ. I don't know about you, as she was 
up here if you, if you were here. Um, but I was struck with the enormity of it all. Here is a, a young woman who is leaving behind her mother and her sisters, her sister, and she's heading off to a culture she doesn't know. She's going to a country where they speak a language that she doesn't speak. And you're left thinking, that's massive. Why are you doing that? But she's got it, hasn't she? She's heard this message of grace and forgiveness. She knows that Jesus the King will return one day. And she's determined to go and make disciples of all nations. And you think about you and me. I mean, we're not all Margaret Aguirre's heading off to Japan, but we do all have our mission fields, and sitting in the office Monday morning, or whatever you're doing Monday morning, perhaps at the school gate, um, oh, it's holidays now, so you won't be at the school gate, meeting up with friends, whatever you might be doing. Um, it's daunting, isn't it? It's daunting to have those conversations with consequences. And so we need to hear these last words that Jesus gives us. Final words of Matthew's Gospel. We read... And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when you look around that office full of unbelievers and you think, I'd far rather be talking about the weather. Um, It's important for us to remember this. Jesus said it to his 11 disciples. He knew how daunting that mission was. He knows how hard it is for us to go and speak of faith in Jesus Christ, of sin and repentance. But he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's not a job that he's disappeared off and left us to do. He is still the disciple maker, the one who calmed the storms, the one who fed the 5,000, the one who, who gave life to the dead. He's the disciple maker. It's his work. We're the instruments he chooses to use. But we need to be clear, don't we? If we're going to be useful to him, if, if I'm going to be an effective instrument in his hands then I need to remember this promise that he's going to be with me. I need to trust that it's his work and not mine. But I need to be prepared to have conversations that have consequences, to speak about things that matter. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a gospel with deep and profound consequences, which start here, but which need to go out to the world. Let me pray for us. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Father God, we praise you for the grace and the mercy you've shown to us in your Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are sinful people. We're unable to earn your forgiveness ourselves, but you have forgiven us freely through the blood of your Son. We thank you and we ask that you would make us into people who, who so delight in this grace and this mercy and who share Jesus' love for those who have not yet heard it, that we would go and we would make disciples, we would speak freely of the forgiveness which we found in him. Amen.